Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Welcome to Just a Sip. Today we're talking to Olympian Lolo Jones. This is the last interview before we go on hiatus, so you know it is going to be good. So get your popcorn, grab your glass of wine, or make sure you're driving in the HOV lane, because here is Lolo Jones. I got to ask you, watching these Olympic Games, what are you feeling like? Oh, I mean, it's bittersweet for me because before the pandemic hit, I was actually training for the Summer Olympics and then it shut everything down. Our, we lost our, our competitions and, you know, a girl is old. So like, I know most people are like, oh, another year to prepare. I was like, another year to hold on. Like, I know <laughs> this is, I, I'm an, I'm an older athlete and like we aged dog years. So one year was like seven for me and I was like, you know what? I think I need to go back to bobsled. <laughs> I mean, look, cool runnings was my shit. I didn't even think bobsledding was a real sport. But the fact that you have the option to do bobsledding, how did that even come about? I didn't even know <laughs> there was ice in Louisiana to practice. First off, cool runnings is the shit. So I uh, absolutely believe that, uh, like, love that you know that movie. Uh, but yeah, I didn't. Obviously, I knew uh, bobsled was an option just because of that movie. Um, and then there's a track runner that went to compete at the Summer Olympics, Glenroy Gilbert, and he uh, for Canada. And then he as well did bobsled right wow. after that. So I kind of knew that it'd be a, a way to transition if I was ever burned out on track, which, you know, or had no other options. I love that you say I'm old, you know, mm -hmm. like how old are you? I'm about to be 39 in a few days. Looking bomb, but I think it's because we're both. I think it's because we're both childless, and we don't have a man running us wild. Okay, so that keeps me looking youthful as well. Uh, yeah, uh, the pandemic did not help with dating at all. <laughs> I don't know about you, but it was a hot mess. Like I was on every dating app, swiping, bored out of my mind, and just you're not even able to meet people for you know. Now everything's start starting to open up, and then now it's about to close back down again. So who knows? <laughs> it's the worst time to be single. <laughs> but I also think that people would probably be like, I can't compete with this woman. She has an Olympic world record. Like <laughs> the intimidation that men must feel stepping to you. 
I love that you're giving me that uh, benefit yes. of the doubt. It's not that. I mean, I definitely have moments where I'm a very stressed ball. So maybe it's that. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> this girl is crazy. I love how you're blaming it on like my success. You're like, oh yeah, she's really talented. Mm -hmm. She's doing fast. And it's like, no, this yeah. girl is stressed. <laughs> <laughs> but now that's all going to be done because I feel like not participating in the Summer Olympics and probably not going back in another four years, you can now focus on your life and finishing the chapters that you find that you haven't finished yet. What are those chapters for you? Oh, that's, I love that question. And I would absolutely love to get married, uh, start a family. Those are definitely life goals. Um, and you're right. I have been very one-sided in my focus. Dedication to the Olympics is really hard to try to have a relationship during that time to try to start yeah. a family. It's, it's, it's just tough. You're already limited on time. There have been athletes to do it, but I just know that I'm, I'm just so fo super focused. Yeah put my eyes on something that it's hard for me to like, uh, you know, take my mind off of that. So I, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to writing new chapters of my life. And um, honestly, I'm just ready to brag about my man, you know, take those selfies yes. on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. All of, look, I am with you. I am with you. But I will say, cause you know, I know in your book over it, how to face life's hurdles with hustle and grace. The word grace to me is one of my favorite words in the world because you can walk through life, but as long as you have grace through a tough journey, I feel like you can get through anything. But the one thing that you are going through that I could never see myself going through and I have tried, I don't think I could save myself for marriage. <laughs> I, have a, I have a four date rule. I have a four date, four date? rule. What if, yes. what, if, what if the guy was everything you wanted and you knew it was for, you knew it was just going to work? You wouldn't be up. No, even if you know he he checked all the boxes and you were like, this is it. This is the one. No, if he if he checked all the boxes, if he was willing to go down that road with me and I, I, that was important to him, I for surely would say we can wait. We will have a quick courtship for sure. Like this is going to be 90 day fiance. Okay, so I never said that I wouldn't have a quick courtship. I'm all about that. Like, if we're tied not in a month, I might be that person that does that for sure. Because I know what I want at this point. I've been on so many dates, and it's just, it's been fun. I've, you know, I've gotten to know a lot of different characters, but I've also got to know what I want in a, a relationship and a partner. And so because I'm older, I'll be able to decipher that quickly. It won't be a scenario where I'm dating someone for a very long time and then engage to them for a very long time because a girl is ready to have sex. <laughs> so yes. Yes. it's going to be a very, it's going to be a very quick courtship, but I know that I'm firm in knowing what I want out of a relationship. And so that helps like me trying to decide that in my early twenties would be really just not a good yeah. situation. So what a gift to give to someone. You know what I mean? Like the you ultimate know, gift of self. I hope, I hope it's a gift because it's a gift that they can't return. So I hope that they, they really appreciate that. I grew up in, with my mom. She was, she had, you know, five kids, three, you know, we have, I have step sisters, step brothers. And yeah. so I saw that, you know, a desire in her heart was always to be married and she was never married. And I saw the complications from, you know, having hookups and, and, you know, having, yeah. you know, kids at a younger age. And so there was a lot of factors that too. went into my, Oh, really? Yeah. So there was a lot of factors that went into me waiting it, you know? And so 
Are there times where I regret it? Absolutely. It makes it very tough to date. You know, when is the right time to tell someone on a date like, hey, you know, so we're actually not going to hook up, but I would like the rib, that dessert, and... (laughs) (laughs) No, no, you order first. You always order first. I always tell people, like... My ex would laugh at me because he was like, I know your game. So like I would, if we went to dinner and you saw me order a kale salad with like a chamomile tea and two shots of tequila, that means we're getting it on tonight. But if I order the tomahawk, motherfucker, like you ain't getting because I would be full and bloated and ready to go. But it's so interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Men get it. Like, I just will send the signal, like, this ain't happening today. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said that because I'm telling you, it's been really tough to... Now it's public, so now everybody pretty much knows if they Google my name, if they go... Like, most people Google each other before they go on dates or, or look at Instagram or check their yes. Facebook out or do some kind of research on them. So now I don't have to explain that awkward moment where it's like, yeah, so, like, we're not going to have sex uh, because... Yeah. Yeah, but it's always fun, though, because a lot of times they don't either believe it or they believe that they'll, you know, be the first to be able to it. break it. Yes. Yeah, that's always fun. like it's so, a bank, like yeah. it's a, like it's a locker combination, like they can yeah. just unlock it. It's a challenge. And then they realize, like, after a month, usually it's about a month. They're like, oh, she was actually like kind of serious about this. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. by the way, I have a four date rule. Not that I make it to four dates, because sometimes I'm like, no, you fine ass <laughs> mother. Like, oh, I hate you. Let's do it. You know, like well, it's like. Has uh, there ever been a guy? Has there ever been a guy that's made you wait though, and then you like really uh, appreciated much more the wait, and we're able to get to know them better? And I will say, I'm not smooth. I'm not suave. I'm the least aggressive person because I never want to make people feel uncomfortable. So normally after my, and again, I'm very clear on what we're doing tonight because you definitely saw that tomahawk come out (laughs) with the mashed potatoes and the green beans. Medium rare. But yeah, medium rare. And I feel like a lot of guys have to make the first move on me because of that. Cause I'm just not that aggressive, but I think it's different for gay men. I think we're just but also primal it's weird i think we're just primal and i also like oh, i would out, like to... out. i don't think it's different i'm primal like trust me if i was not a 38 year old virgin i would be a freak in these streets like i yeah. i have like i'm an athlete so i have that you know that animal inside of me and it's just I don't know. I guess, like I said, I told you, it just like, I saw the other side of it. I saw the pain my mom went through and, you know, I was just like, you know, this is the route I want to take. And I feel like it has protected me because there have been instances, come on, like I've gone on some really good dates. I've gone on dates with like hot looking Mm -hmm. NFL players, Mm -hmm. NBA players. I've gone Mm -hmm. out with the fittest in the world. And, you know, that's very tempting, but after I got to know them, I was like, Ooh, I am so glad that I did not hook up with this person right? because they are a dog, like straight up a dog. So, uh, yeah. I'm so happy that my mom and my aunts and their generation didn't have Instagram because I never have to relive all the messiness <laughs> and the nastiness that they had to go through. Because, you know, like parents like to pretend like they didn't have a messy ass childhood and teenage mm-hmm. years. But for <laughs> me... <laughs> my MySpace and Facebook and all of those things weren't around. I feel bad for the generation that's being born now because their parents are putting so much of their dirty laundry on Instagram and on reality <laughs> TV that 
how are you going to escape it? Um, it's tough. I'm, I'm actually really glad that social media was kind of coming about as I was at the end part of like the growing up stages where I would get rid of the awkwardness. And like you said, I mean, everybody has a past now. It's really hard to, to protect your identity, especially with everything being out there, Instagram, TikTok. And it's like, if you make one mistake or if it's something that, you know, maybe you change as a person, um, it's still out yeah. there and it can haunt you. And so, uh yeah but um i mean my mom was the main one telling me to party in college <laughs> so wait high school. Uh, yeah where are you in the lineage i'm second youngest you're pretty much a baby because it was it's very interesting you know my mom was very much so do as i say not as i do and <laughs> you know like that was like her motto and no one ever told us about you know the the street activities until i was about 23 24 is that when she had like, like a talk with you or no, no, it just slowly started coming out where like, uh, I think I was an adult and I had moved to Los Angeles. And when I would come home, you know, you would get a story here and there about that thought life that they didn't want you to know about. But it started like slowly creeping out. When was it that you started hearing about some of the things that your mom's generation did? So like your aunt? I think my mom was pretty tight lipped lit on the like whole matter uh but i would piece it together because obviously you know it's just i think yeah. she, like the first i think the first kind of hint i had was when she was just like she told me she was a hippie and i was like oh this is not gonna end well like <laughs> that was like, her way of like it's yeah. like when gay people say they're bi <laughs> like just to, like slowly crawl out of the closet <laughs> that's a that's a good analogy for sure she was just like yeah you know i was a hippie and i was just like okay so what's it like obviously you're gonna okay we're gonna talk about pot now what's the other things are we talking about woodstock like how far of a hippie were you what are you talking about here <laughs> so <laughs> uh yeah she's a you know god bless my mom she's she's an interesting character but she definitely didn't let it like you said they wait until you're older i think just trying to make sure that you can process it for sure now, processing this book, you know, did you have to talk to your parents about the things that you wanted to be open with? Yeah, there's actually a really tough chapter in there uh, uh, where my mom, we we talked to my mom about one of the hardest things that went on in her life. And, uh, you know, my mom's a survivor of domestic abuse. And so uh, just my dad was in and out of prison. And there was an instance that uh, we go into. And it's, it, I know to this day, it's still hard to talk about just because my family is healed from it. You know, like my, yeah. my uh, dad came out of prison and actually went to live back with my mom and he never touched hands on her again. And so I wanted to share that story because I think we're so quick in today's society to judge and, yes. and think that, and think that people can't change or they can't learn from their mistakes or they can't uh, become better humans. And my dad's an incredible uh, guy. He's funny. He's intelligent. Um, you know, he served in the air force, but you know, he made a, a big mistake. And so uh, I go into detail about that and the hurt that it caused, but also the, the, the healing. And so you, you talked earlier about grace and, you know, there was a grace that my mom had to provide uh, going through yes. that battle. And so um, just hope it's being encouragement. And it was probably one of the harder chapters to write because it's like, okay, like I'm not trying to throw my dad under the bus because I have a relationship with him now and it's been very healthy for years. And so does my mom, but also explain the situation to where it could give others hope that have, uh, you know, been in uh, instances like that as well. So are your parents from the South? 
I was born and raised in Des Moines, Iowa, but, um, you know, my dad literally, he claims Ohio. He claims, you know, he was in the South. He, he, he claimed everything, you know? And He's then, all over the place. Yeah. My mom would probably more so just claim Des Moines and Texas. So, yeah. Oh, nice. Because I, I didn't know if it was a Southern thing or ethnic thing, but it's interesting because when I talk to my mother, for instance, about things that happened in my life, immediately she thinks it's a blame game. She hmm. immediately thinks, oh, I just couldn't do anything right. And, you know, it's like, oh, no, no, I was talking to you about my feelings on things and how I perceive things and what I have been dealing with for years and trying to unpack. But it's almost so hard to unpack with somebody who's not prepared to unpack those things with you. Yeah. because. It's almost like a defense. So I could never really write a book, you know, because <laughs> of that. I, I say things on the show like I like, for instance, this is crazy. I was talking about how every Friday night my friends would come to my house. Everybody would bring a bottle of wine. We would gather, sit outside and like chill till two o'clock in the morning and hang out. And it's because for the longest time, my mother did that with her best friends and oh. we would cry to go home, but she didn't like, she just wanted to sit and chill. And now I understand it. And it was a story I told at a dinner table with my friends, with my mom and her friends. And my mother got upset and was like, you made me sound like I was an alcoholic. And I was like, oh. whoa, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How did you take that from we are picking up a tradition that you passed on to us and now we do it with our friends. We were trying to like, I was yeah. trying to bring us all in together, but you're getting upset about that. Yeah. Wait till I talk about coming out the closet. <laughs> like what, like, you know, it, it's like so weird that that was like a trigger, you know? Yeah. So I can only imagine sitting with your mother and talking about something so deep. It was tough. Like you said, the triggers were definitely really hard especially when I'm talking about my dad as well. He's like, he's older in his age. And so, you know, it's, it's I've talked in the past about in, in, in interviews, like kind of the ups and downs, because I wanted to make it very clear. I came from a life of hardship, but I've made the best out of it. And with the, the help of both of them, I've learned a tremendous amount. Uh, but when the book was coming out, I remember my sister's like, well, you're not going to throw our dad under the bus again. So like, it could be a trigger, but it's just like, I had to tell her like, this is the truth. This is the truth. And I'm going to be honest. And but I'm also going to show like, what I've learned, how it's made me stronger. And so it was, um, it was very tough writing the book and going into some of the, the toughest moments of my life, for sure, uh, was very nervous when it was coming out, uh, making sure that I was like, why well, it honestly feels like someone's about to read your diary. So. Oh, for sure. No, it's like super, it's super personal. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because I grew up in the hood and the only way out of the hood was you played sports and you went into the NFL. Like no one ever talked about college as an academic thing. People talked about college as a way to get into the NFL or the NBA. And it's really interesting. Was that why you focused so hard on sports? Because uh, you wanted to get out of your situation. Absolutely. I, I talk about uh, just growing up really, really poor. Like we never had money even enough for like a car. So I would, uh, we would always have to walk or run everywhere. And then just knowing that my family was just, there was no way to get out of poverty besides get a scholarship. So that's why yeah. I focused my attention on, on running. It was just, it wasn't to be an Olympic athlete. It wasn't to be, you know, 
for the fame or the glory of what athletes get. I was like, no, I need to go to college. And the only way I can go to college is as a track scholarship. My family can't afford it, but I'm uh, talented enough to get one through running. And so I just put laser focus on that as my option to just get out of, just break the cycle of poverty. The cycle. But isn't it so weird? Because, you know, I watched growing up, you watch the kids who are athletic and who people pay attention to, like the coaches pay attention, the school starts paying attention, but it's really sad that we don't pay attention to kids who could make a change in science or in mathematicians. Did it feel good when that attention was coming to you? And were you aware that people were probably jealous that oh. you were the the chosen? <laughs> Well, uh, so I think I had a unique situation where um, I actually had offers for academics as well. They have uh, they had a thing uh, trying to get diversity into science. So they had this program geared towards African-Americans, mixed, any kind of diversity, whether it was Hispanic, whatever. They were just trying to get more diversity into science. And I had a pivotal moment in my uh, career where I either had to do these science camps or go for a track and field meet. And I was at that time, I was just booming in track and field. Like I was starting to get letters scholarship le letters from all wow. around the country but i was only yes. getting one offer one offer for the science scholarship and it wasn't a full so i had to make that decision but i definitely think that there needs to be more of an impact on if a kid is in uh, poverty especially in such dire situations it doesn't just have to be placed on athletics like 100 percent. you know there's so many other ways to get scholarships and I was uh, grateful to have an opportunity to, to even see another opportunity, but uh, I know for many of the Olympians I know who are in the same situation, they grew up in poverty, track and field was their only way out. And not even saying all sports, like track and field, because yeah. if you think about sports, tennis is a very costly sport to start playing. Yes. So not a lot of African-Americans can play that sport because you need court memberships, you need rackets. Well, track and field is one of the easier ones to join because really all you need is a pair of shoes and that's really your only cost. And so that's why it's so huge when you see the first black American to win a gold in swimming because the costs are different than it is 100%. for track, you know? even just starting there, just getting athletes in all, all like diversity in all the sports. And then also making sure that know that it's not just competing in athletics, like yeah, uh, academic scholarships also are, because honestly, if I can go to college for a full academic scholarship, trust me, I would love that because running around you track on a hot, hot day is not. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But it's, it, you know, it's really crazy because I remember I went to school I went to public school up until seventh grade because the junior high where I was from was about to turn into dangerous minds. <laughs> um, and my, my mother was really scared and she was like, you got to figure something out. And <laughs> at 13, I switched to a Catholic school and it was funny because in eighth grade, it was like, we need to talk about SATs. We need to talk about ACTs. We got to talk about college. We got to talk about what classes you have to take. And it was purely the conversation that really got me out of one mindset into the next. Because when I was growing up in the hood and going to school with all black people, the conversation was only, you got to do good in sports. You got to do good in sports so you can get a scholarship. <laughs> I wish that underprivileged and, you know, schools in the ghettos had guidance counselors and resources that could flip that that whole mindset and that whole conversation on his head because 
I knew I knew my ass couldn't dribble. I knew I was gonna be five eleven. Like yeah. I was slow as I got a fat ass. Like I ain't moving yeah. nowhere. So for me, I would have been stuck in the same old grind, you know, going to work after I finish high school. I want to see more of those conversations happening in the elementary and junior high schools at an earlier age, because we weren't taught that we could go to school for anything else but sports. I went to a school in Texas, Holland Middle School, and it's not in the best of neighborhoods. Uh, it's, it's known for like all kinds of just gnarly stuff. And absolutely the focus would be on football, track and field, this and that. Yes. And then I went back and, and moved back to Des Moines, Iowa, which is, you know, predominantly white school. And that's when I had one of the coaches like say, hey, you know, like when I started to get scholarship offers and, you know, I was I was thinking about going to a lot of SEC schools or focus on athletics. And he was just like, you know, you're you're pretty solid in academics. Why don't you try, you know, like at least do me yes. a favor and try to go to a school that has like, you know, really attention on academics, like a Vanderbilt or something like that. And so, but that's just the difference between when I was in, in different schools and different areas. So uh, definitely there is a, a difference and um, hoping, like you said, that they can close the gap and make sure there's a, a different emphasis place because it's not just athletics that makes you get scholarships. First things first, like if I was a teacher or if I was part of, you know, a school board, um, I would take out the last two years of PE. Like we don't need four <laughs> years of pickleball. Like I don't need to play dodgeball for four years. What I would do is my platform, and you can tell me if you think this is dumb, my platform for junior and senior physical education would be to flip it and do financial literacy for two years. Uh, would you vote for me? I would definitely vote for you because my last year I didn't do PE. I uh, actually did study hall instead of PE as a senior in high school. So uh, I think that definitely that's a better option for some people, but some people might need the physical education, but I think that it's uh, for sure you're gonna use finances a lot in life, so. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I boycotted track and field because I was so excited for Shakira Richardson. Uh, you did not vote. You, you know how many black athletes compete for, you know, no, besides no. Shakira? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I was so jacked up. She went to LSU. She did the fingernail. She did the finger at the end of the line. I was just so jacked up. How disappointed were you when you heard that information? I was just shocked. You know, that was, you know, obviously devastating for a lot of people. I think that the one good thing that will come out of that scenario is she has put such a huge spotlight on this outdated rule that I would be surprised if they do not change it. And they should honestly call it the the new Shikari rule because... <laughs> yes. Yes. Because I'm like, yeah. everybody's smoking weed. It's legal in <laughs> how many states now? Like, I understand it performance enhancing drugs in a slippery slope, but marijuana, come on, y'all. 
So it's actually not performance enhancing. It's the Olympic spirit. So that's how they kind of got hers on the wording of that. They can basically say anything's Olympic. It's against Olympic spirit. So like Michael Phelps, he never tested positive for actual weed, but he was caught uh, with a pitcher with a bong. So that's against. No. That's against Olympic spirit. So therefore, that's why he got a ban. I, there was actually funny. There was I did an interview with someone. They're like, "Oh, weed is tef- definitely performance enhancing because it, it helps you relax and sleep and recover." Oh. They they they're an Olympic gold medalist. They got their medal taken away because they tested positive for uh, weed. They they said they were trying to make the case for it, and I was just like, "Look, I don't know what event you did, but in the women's 100 meter dash, yeah. it's definitely not performance enhancing because if especially if you were smoking the day of, it's gonna." significantly hurt your reaction time and the hundred meters all about reaction. Yes. So, uh, and not if you, if not, if you had the munchies the night before, you're definitely <laughs> not about to go on this track and feel and run off those Cheetos in five seconds. Uh, you know what I mean? No, it was, uh, uh, it was definitely one of the most talked about stories before the Olympic games. I did watch the three Jamaican witches take it down. <laughs> like those women, I wore, <laughs> I just couldn't believe, but how, amazing and shout out to jamaica the three women that killed it what a unbelievable feeling for that country that at that moment you know what i mean yeah you you think that they're lit for carnival they're probably definitely just going crazy right now for the olympic results can i ask you this because you know on the tv on nbc it looks like everything's so kumbaya this is amazing everybody's loving life one is olympics kind of like pageants where <laughs> Everyone looks nice on the outside during interviews, but when the cameras go off, the nasty starts. So it depends on the event. Team USA has actually been very public about some of the Russian swimmers uh, kind of like saying that they feel like they're cheating. Um, and then in track and field, it kind of depends on the event. Like, you know, obviously USA Jamaica does have a very intense rivalry. So I'm, I yeah. could just guess if Shakari was there, she probably was not going to be dapping up the Jamaican sprinters. <laughs> before you were, yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah no but then there is times where you see like genuine friendships like uh the other day two high jumpers decided to share the medal and so they're from different countries one from italy one from uh guitar and they decided to split the medal instead of actually do a jump off so what they did instead is and now because they will not give out a silver medal they gave out gold gold so the next person automatically gets bronze so the next person doesn't get silver they get silver. bronze. Ah, that makes sense. So there's, it just depends on the event. It depends on how long they've competed against each other. I've seen some rolls, the eyes, the, you know, I've seen some fiery looks. I've seen, I've seen the tea definitely get spilled, but I've also seen some, some genuine heartfelt moments at the Olympic games. You you know, we all watched, you know, I call it days of our lives because we were watching this Simone Biles thing like it was a five-part special on NBC Nightly. Like, it was crazy, all of it, just what you heard and people's reactions and waiting for her to see if she was going to do the individual attempts, being somebody who had all the pressure on them, being in those shoes did it kind of bring it back to the moments where you were waiting on those blocks, trying to figure out like if you could like succumb this pressure? Uh, Yes and no. Like Simone. So I went into my first Olympics with the fastest time in the world. 
and I had a lot of people, you know, the hype, oh, Lola's going to break the Olympic record. She's, you know, running amazing, but it, I only had a month of that. Simona's had years of that. You know, she's had not only four yeah. years, but five, it's been five years since the last Olympics. And so she's had to carry that weight for a very long time. And uh, the way she's had to navigate it, especially because she's had, she's dealing with uh, having the twisties, which is when you get discombobulated yeah. in the vertigo. air. Uh, yeah, vertigo. So it's, uh, it's very tough. And so, I mean, I have had instances where I'm running the hurdles and I forget what hurdle I'm on, you know, and then I'm like, oh, I got another hurdle. But it's, it's very rare when it happens. So I can only imagine if you're doing flips at high speeds in the air, how dangerous it can be. And so she's had to navigate a lot of uh, like just different aspects that I don't think a lot of athletes have to deal with because of the pressure she's had to carry for so many years, being the number one for Team USA and just being a groundbreaking athlete in her sport. She's just one tough uh, human and I talked to her for getting back out there. I don't know how this woman did it because if I were getting vertigo halfway through a car drive at 10 miles an hour, the fear of God would be in me for the rest of my life. But I, what I find so interesting is you have all these people who are criticizing this woman for taking a step back and her team only won silver. Meanwhile, y'all motherfuckers didn't even get invited to the Olympics as a spectator, <laughs> much less a yeah. qualifying athlete. Yeah, we're actually talking about a lot about that on the roundtable discussion. Um, so I'm currently out in Connecticut doing stuff at the NBC Olympics. And we talk about how, and it's it's more so like an American thing, because in Europe, yes. they are actually celebrated just the moment they make the Olympic team. But in America, because we've been so dominant with the medal count, it's like, if you don't, if you get a medal, it has to be gold. And anything yeah. less is is kind of frowned upon or marked. And I'm, I've been, I've had situations where, I mean, I got fourth at one Olympics and I was so proud of that fourth place because I had, I had, I talk about this in my book. I had spine surgery the year before I could barely walk and everybody's like, there's no way she'll make this Olympic team. And against all odds, I made that Olympic team and I ran yeah. one of my fastest times in that whole year. And immediately people were calling me a failure, a flop. I should give money back to my sponsors, but like in Europe or in other countries, it's like they celebrate their athletes no matter what place they get. And they're like this, they're, you know, they're Olympians. And so it's just crazy with social media that people sitting back at home are the first ones to, to be able to, to critique and they can't even do a cartwheel, let alone understand what Simone's going through. It is so wild to me that people feel so obligated to give their two cents without even having any experience whatsoever. And there was a, I I was just on a flight and there was this documentary on the flight all about Olympic athletes after the Olympic games and what they go through. If you were a part of the Olympic committee for the USA, what would you suggest that we as a country and as an Olympic committee could do to help these athletes well a lot of it actually is on funding and um i i have a huge this is probably the most controversial chapter i talk about in my book is the funding for olympic athletes because a lot of people don't know this most of us get our insurance cut after the olympic games which means we can't if we do need mental health or anything that would assist in our mental you know like i remember when i didn't make the olympic team within a month i had my insurance cut so the hardest time of my life all of my dreams were just crashed 
and I couldn't have, I didn't have any ways or means to talk to anyone about that. And so, and I'm a three-time Olympian that happened after I was a three-time Olympian. So, wow. uh, you know, I talk about how much the IOC, the international Olympic committee brings in, it's a multi-billion dollar corporation and it brings in billions and they don't pay the athletes anything. So the athletes have financial pressures, not only upon competing pressures at the Olympic games, uh, because they know that, uh, however they do will help with sponsorships afterward because they're yeah. not getting paid by the Olympics. Uh, there's a stat I did where the top us athletes make under $15,000, a lot under <gasps> $15,000 a year. Even some of the top pole voters, um, I'm going to do a round table on this coming up are unsigned with sponsorships. So you're asking what can change, what can be done? Well, first and foremost, if the IOC, the international Olympic committee is bringing in billions from all this will help the athletes out, whether that's giving them lifetime health insurance like in the nfl if you play a certain amount of years you have insurance a pension yeah yeah so why don't we have that in place for these olympic athletes like you look at simone and she says she's struggling right now what's going to happen to simone a month after the olympic games when she retires like are we just going to kick her to the curb and she's not going to have health insurance like so it just it puts more due stress on them and so i think until the international olympic committee steps up and starts making ways for athletes to get help financially yeah. mentally uh that's the first and the foremost step and the problem with that is the fans are like well they're olympians they don't deserve to get paid and then, and then that brings in a bad stigma it's because it's just like, I remember the USA men's basketball team tried to stick up for Olympians one year and they were like, these are Olympic athletes. And this is, they only have a chance to be here. Like it's a once in a life opportunity. Like we have so many ways to make money, but this is it for them. And they tried to fight for us and fans on social media were like, Olympians shouldn't get paid. They should, they should just want to compete for the love of their country. It has nothing to do with that. And I tell oh those people, God. I'm like, you can still want to compete your heart out for the for the love of Team USA and still at the same time want health insurance. So it, yes. uh, it shouldn't conflict with one or the other. You should still want to be able to treat your Olympians with respect and make sure that they're taken care of because a lot of these athletes are getting gnarly injuries. Connor Fields the other day crashed his BMX uh, bike and had a, a serious brain bleed. There's, wow. you know, there's skateboarders that are getting injured. There's gymnastic athletes that are having nasty tumbles. There's hurdlers that hit hurdles and fall. Uh, you know, so we're, we're banging our bodies up, not only with that, the pressures of being mentally there at the biggest spotlight and then having to deal with a uh, lack of funding. And it's just really a lot on athletes. Um, oh, for it's sure. A on, it's a lot on Olympic athletes. I think about the year that Carrie Shrug came through and became the face of America for 365 days, maybe. And then after that, she ruined her life. She ruined her body. She ruined all of it. And it was almost like, oh, yeah, we're done with you. We're now on to winter. And then we're going to go back to summer again. But there's going to be Dominic Dawes and all these yeah. other people that are coming Stop. through. And it's like, yeah, we were all watching this woman put her life on yeah. the line to bring home a medal. And you're right. We just put them out to pasture. But why can I, who I'm representing our country, you know, I'm a part of this establishment for this thing. And I've worked my ass off to get here. Why can I leave with something? At least give me a mother. An HMO. I didn't even want a PPO. Give me no. an give me an HMO. There's, 
nothing. There's no retirement plans in place. There's no medical uh, plans in place. So if you do start to struggle physically or mentally from any of your past traumas while training for the Olympics or competing at the games, there is nothing set up for you at all. Damn, Lolo, no. I'm like, Lolo, no, no, no. (laughs) I mean, I didn't even think about it, but to know that $15,000 a year. That was for some of the top five athletes in the U.S. or making under 15000 I, I I won't name names, but I, I'm seeing people win silver medals, and I know their contracts, and I'm like, well, that girl makes 7000 a year. That girl makes 20000 a year. That girl, yeah, that girl has no contract at all, and she's in the Olympic final. So if you think about that and you compare it to the NFL or the NBA, where if they go to the Super Bowl final or uh, the championship game, they are financially taken care of. And when athletes go to the Olympics, they are not getting paid a dime for being at the Olympics. So they have to solely rely on sponsorships or they have, that's why you see a lot of Olympic athletes, family, or you see a lot of Olympic athletes with GoFundMe pages. And so it's just a vicious, vicious, uh, you know, circle of trying to get, you know, things into place, but yeah. Mm. By the way, you have these girls who hooked up with a rapper one time and they're selling flat tummy tea for six <laughs> figures. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, ah, I always say God. that. I tell people that all the time. I'm just like, uh, I don't know if I'll have my kids uh, play sports. I'm like, I'm either going to have them like be streamers on Twitch where, you know, they can play video games and make a ton of money or uh, yeah. just be Instagram. Or open toys. Or yeah, open or toys on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my uh, God. Look. This was all so informative. I cannot wait. I'm, I mean, do you have an audiobook? Because I love an audiobook. The audiobook is actually better than the book because the book is amazing. Trust me, if you're a reader, the book is great. But I, in the audiobook, I gave some like behind the scenes tea that I'm is not that. in the book. I would be like, Ooh. time out. And I would like, oh, yes. and I would, uh, in the audiobook, I cry because it gets a little bit intense. Over it, how to face life's hurdles with grit. Hustle and Grace by Lolo Jones. It is available wherever books are sold right now. Go on Audible. Get this audiobook. I'm leaving so yeah. educated at this point. We got to do something else. We got to figure out how to make this work. We're going to try to find a strategy on how, for when 2024 happens, we do not let athletes go Struggle. unprotected. I love it. I love it. That's would be a dream of mine. So thank you so much for having me. I've had an amazing time. You're full of energy and love you. I'm so glad you had me on your show. You guys, thank you so much for listening. Just a sip, we'll be taking hiatus, but all of our episodes will still be available. So if you miss any, now is your chance to catch up and re-listen to all of your faves. You can also follow me at Justin A. Sylvester to keep up with me. Thank you for hanging with us every Wednesday. And hopefully we're going to be sipping again soon.